This is episode 23 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today we're looking at selecting an escape route. We're looking at urban camouflage, why you should blend in to walk home after a disaster. And we also have an interview, because it's Wednesday, an interview with author and survival blogger Jim Cobb. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Let's go ahead and get started. Our first article comes to us from SurvivalBlog.com. Yes, at that Survival Blog, the, the first one that really made a big dent in the preparedness world. And so um, this first article is entitled Selecting an Escape Route. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Everyone has a plan to get out of Dodge in an emergency. As I teach myself defense and firearm classes, I ask people and they all say, I'd head up to my cabin or I'll head out west. The problem is, have you actually considered how you will leave the immediate area of your home or work? Most of the people I hear begin their plan ambiguously. They say just simply, I'd leave town, but they have never done any reconnaissance or real-life consideration of their route. As humans, we are creatures of habit. If I want to leave my house in Metro Detroit and head to my cabin, I just jump on the freeway two blocks from my home and take it most of the way, right? Well, on normal weekend, without any unrest or any emergency, that's very simple. These basic plans fall apart once we consider the effects of a large civil disturbance, a disaster, or simply a large-scale long-term blackout. With the increasing trend of protesters blocking the freeways and major streets, these issues must be taken into consideration. As the crisis unfolds, people will take to the streets in many ways. Protesters who may be out, people seeking to reunite with family members, looters, people seeking supplies, and people trying to leave the area will all clog the roads. Authorities will attempt to retain control by establishing traffic control points and roadblocks. Roads and highways may also have been damaged. When planning routes, a simple and thorough process needs to be used. The process begins with locating four different routes to use in the event one is blocked. A map study is a method to predict where issues may arise. You must drive these routes, conduct conduct reconnaissance to determine where the problem areas are and how to avoid them. Safe havens and supply stops, or absence thereof, must be planned. Final coordination with others at your destination is also needed. We will address these areas in this article. Planning needs to begin with a map study. While GPS technology is convenient and should certainly be planned for, the failure of batteries or other components can happen. So beginning with an old-fashioned map and compass is important, fail-safe. Analyze the map and select routes out of the area that are non-traditional. Sure, the highway is the fastest way out of the area, but the other 400,000 people fleeing the area also know that. I recommend the acronym PACE to remind you to have four routes or plans for everything. Primary, alternate, contingent, and emergency. As you are studying the map, think from the perspective of the local law enforcement agencies trying to maintain order. Decide where traffic control points, or TCP, would be placed to best control traffic. Decide what government buildings will either be heavily protected or draw protesters or refugees. Make your routes to avoid these areas. Mark grocery stores and gas stations on the map and avoid these areas. They will be magnets for looters or just desperate people. 
Mark and avoid all hospitals again during a crisis. These will be busy areas and present a risk. I have designed my route to use only secondary roads. While larger traffic arteries move faster under ideal circumstances, they will be at a standstill and will attract most law enforcement, protest, and refugee attention as well. Ensure that the secondary roads you use don't traverse high crime areas. After selecting at least three routes using only secondary roads, select as your emergency route something completely out of the box. As an example, I live two blocks from the start of a walking trail that leads all the way through the south side of my city and avoids all major intersections. The trail is wide enough for a vehicle and the reconnaissance showed it's usable with special equipment like bolt cutters. It also connects with a private dirt road along the power lines that are used to check the transmission lines. This gives me yet another route option in a different direction that also avoids major intersections. Once you have selected the routes, drive them to validate the selections. Watch for bridges that can easily be blocked, high crime neighborhoods, grocery stores, and gas stations to be avoided, as well as police and fire stations to be avoided. Ensure that the route doesn't have special hazards that aren't visible on the map, like narrow streets easily blocked with on-street parking and one-way areas. Avoid routes that lead through subdivisions with a lot of cul-de-sacs. Make sure there's always a way out of any congested area along these routes. Drive them both in daylight and darkness. My personal plan involves leaving between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., slowest human reaction times. And so I have done recon on my routes during that time frame. The reason is that if you drive through a neighborhood during daytime, you won't have a feel for how many cars are parked on the street at night. A lot of on-street parking at night creates a zone where attackers can ambush you using the vehicles for cover and can make it very easy to box you in by having a vehicle come at you while a second one pulls up behind you. With cars on both sides, this is a no-win scenario. Continue to drive the routes on a regular basis to ensure that you are aware of any new issues like construction, changes in traffic flow, and any new businesses that need to be avoided. After selecting the routes from your home out of the immediate area, next select routes from workplace. However, your work is now double because you will need to select routes from work to home as well as routes from work directly out of the immediate area. Yes, it's a lot of work, but prior planning makes emergency response that much easier. Use the same process of map study and recon to select the routes to, sorry, to select the routes. It will make you more secure as well because taking multiple routes to and from work keeps you safe anyway. The reason for having both destinations is that the level of emergency may dictate an immediate departure from the area without a stop at home. Also, the location of the situation may be between your workplace and home. Once we have our routes out of the immediate area planned and vetted, it's time to analyze routes from the area to your get out of Dodge location. Again, Start with the map and select four routes. When picking out a map, purchase a state, atlas, uh, gazetteer type rather than a dot foldout map. The reason is that the average citizen is going to use routes on a foldout map and the atlas type shows many good roads that aren't listed on the state highway map. I choose routes that avoid any city and look for farmlands or very small villages. These small towns will likely have a locally owned and operated gas station or store that may remain open for emergency supplies, but I wouldn't count on it. If you must cross interstates, look for crossing under them away from interchanges. Traffic control points are likely to be up at on and off ramps, and traffic may be forced off right into your path. It is very tempting 
once you are away from an urban area to try and transition to an interstate or other freeway. Don't fall into this trap. These highways are designated as limited access and their actual purpose is to facilitate the movement of government vehicles in an emergency. They have on and off ramps and for travel convenience but for the ability to seal off all non-essential traffic. As they are fenced on both sides, usually with a ditch on both sides before the fences, they are very easy to block, trapping you. Once the routes from your original location to your hideaway have been selected and recon done, it's time to turn your attention to final coordination with others at your hideaway or get out of dodge location. Even if it's only you there, there are some steps that will need to be taken for safety. Once you get close to the location, don't plan to drive straight in, even if it's just you and your family. Plan and select a hidden location near your final destination where you can stop your vehicle and conceal it briefly and walk in on foot. It would do you no good to have made a great escape plan, ex executed it flawlessly, then blunder it in your hideaway to find it already seized by others who may be unfriendly. If it's a single family property, set up telltales to determine if anyone has been on the access road or driveway. These can be as simple as a string or branch left across the road, Walk in using a covered and concealed route and observe to ensure that no one has taken over your hideaway. Once you have determined that it's secure, bring in your vehicle and execute your security plan. It's, it, if it's a multi-family situation like mine, have a plan agreed upon all and allow no deviation. Our plan consists of stopping the vehicle short of the location and making radio. Don't rely on cell phones. Once radio contact is established, an all-clear passphrase is given. Even though the passphrase is given, a radio stays with the vehicle and another radio-equipped person walks in on foot to visually verify the situation. Only after all steps are verified is the vehicle then called in. Once all the routes have been planned and verified, continue to review and update your plan regularly. Once a month is a good idea, but once a quarter is a minimum. I live in an area with serious seasonal changes, so updates will be needed in the event of winter, snow, spring, flood, etc. The final step is the development of a travel security SOP. By this I mean a, setup, a set of procedures to ensure your safety and security while on the move. First, as harsh as it sounds, consider that you will not stop to render aid to others. This is a personal choice, but many ambush scenarios begin with staging someone needing assistance or the person who truly needs help may have just been ambushed by others. Try to send help using a radio or other communications but stopping should not be part of the plan. Understand that whatever disputes or conflicts you encounter, they are not your fight and you will either continue straight through or avoid them. Another consideration is security at relief breaks. A trip that may have taken 3 hours on a normal weekend may take 10 to 12 hours on or even longer. One person should always be posted as security with the vehicle and no one should go out of the other's sight. If you are traveling alone, decide upon safe locations and procedures ahead of time, like driving off the main route and out of sight first. Keep the vehicle fueled and have snacks stocked in, all, in it at all times, along with plenty of water to eliminate the need for stops. Also, ensure that you bring along maps and a compass just in case you need to change the plans on the fly, based upon the conditions you encounter. If a road is blocked or impassable, having a paper map to quickly make changes is vital. The navigator or person de designated ahead of time should follow your progress on the map diligently so that if an emergency change must be made, valuable minutes won't be wasted trying to figure out where you are on the map. Most plans involve leaving the immediate area but don't consider planning how that will be done. 
Following the steps in this article will help you establish a secure plan that has options in the event of an emergency. The more plans you have ahead of time, the less stress you will encounter when it's time to get out of Dodge. In an emergency, it's time to move, not time to plan. Movement is life. Okay, so some good some good ideas there. Um, you know, when I when I think of articles like this and I think of this kind of scenario, I mean, you're already the breakdown has already happened, right? I mean, the collapse has already happened, and you know, it's 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 chaotic out there. Uh, one of the things as a prepper is you want to stay informed at all times. You want to really stay with it, uh, if you know, with what's going on in the news, and then just just being aware, you know, uh, not being so into everything that you're you're not aware of what's going on in your surroundings. I like the idea of having the the pace when they talked about um, the primary, alternate, contingent, and emergency uh, different types of routes. Um, having a good uh, map is is good. Definitely, you need a paper map. Um, I would also say go to Google Maps and do a couple of routes. I mean, you can go to Google Maps and do directions, and uh, and so you wouldn't do like the direction directly to your bug out location or your you know your your retreat or whatever, but you would do it to another to another location, uh, maybe somewhere midway, and uh, to get out of the city. So, for instance, I live in Houston. It's a metroplex. I'm definitely not going to hit the freeways if I was in a situation like this because even during hurricanes and hurricanes you have plenty of time I mean it's crazy right you have plenty of time to know that these things are in the in the Gulf of Mexico and they're going to come our way or at least the projections and everybody waits to the last minute and then the roads are congested and you know it's so stupid we had people die during uh during Rita when people were evacuating for Rita and Rita didn't even wind up coming coming to Houston it went uh it went further east uh, to us and then same thing with Ike so it's you know it just it it's mind boggling boggling how people are not uh, or they wait till the last minute so preppers need to be aware I mean that's that's something that I I, I definitely uh, focus on is being aware and being up to date and knowing what's going on and so I don't constantly live in the news I don't constantly live in my phone but you know, I'm I'm aware of what's going on, and so I know that if I need to move, I need to move. Uh, but anyway, Google Google Maps will do a couple of different uh, ways, and then you can also drag your routes over. It'll tell you how long it would take uh, in a normal situation. But you know, you can kind of do those back roads too. You kind of see it, and uh, a lot of the times you also get the Google satellite and you can get down pretty close by to see what's going on and and what's there like going through neighborhoods and and uh, back roads and and it's pretty accurate so that's that's definitely one having uh, actual um, reconnaissance or actually you know driving it knowing it uh, that's definitely uh, a big plus as well all right, so it's Wednesday, and one of the things that I do on Wednesday is I try to have an interview. And uh, this week, we have uh, did a written interview with Jim Cobb of Survival Weekly. Uh, Jim, if you if you are you know if you are have been a prepper for a while or you have been around preparedness for a while, you've definitely seen his articles. He has great articles. Um, he uh, has written a lot of books, a lot of information out there. Very active on Facebook. Uh, one of the things that I link to on my Facebook page, if if I catch it in time, 
is he does uh, a lot of the times he'll do like a Friday freebie, and so all you got to do is just you know uh, make a comment, and so they they usually pull somebody from there, and you can you can win items there. So uh, a lot of good information there, and so I thought it would be good to get to know Jim a little bit better and get, get to share Jim with you, uh, the listeners out there. And so uh, what we do on the written interview, because like I said, I do these late at night. Um, I do them so that they are prepared for the next morning, just in case some of you guys are, you know, you're driving to work and you want to have that that podcast. So uh, this is Tuesday night. I am recording this uh, for Wednesday morning. So hopefully, if you're, uh, you know, you wake up Wednesday morning and you download the um, the podcast and you're able to to listen to it. So um, we do the written the written interviews because it's just would be hard to do or uh, record one. Uh, this late at night. So I have some questions. I'm going to read the questions and then I'll read his answer. All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and start with this. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your preparedness. Please include why you started prepping. So this is his answer. Let's see. I'm a happily married father of three young men. My extremely patient and supportive wife and I have been together for 25 years. My boys are 12, 14, and 17. We are in the process of shopping around for land on which we plan to start a small homestead. I started prepping long before the term prepping came into being. When I was a wee lad of about 10, owing to the Cub Scouts as well as books and such, I became rather interested in emergency preparedness. It just made sense to be to want to me to be to want to be prepared for life's curveballs such as severe weather. Bear in mind too that this was the 1980s and the height of the Cold War. When the day after aired on TV, which was in 1983, just a side note, I remember watching that with my family. That was that was a crazy movie at the time. All right, sorry, had to interject that one. That was like bringing up memories there. Uh, the day after aired on TV, which was in 1983, it drove home the threat of nuclear war and such. I happened across a copy of Life After Doomsday by Dr. Bruce D. Clayton at a bookstore and bought it with the money I'd saved up from mowing lawns. That was my first real survival manual and I haven't looked back since. Next question. What specifically about your personal preparedness are you most proud of? We had some pretty lean years where money was really tight. Even during those times, we were able to put things aside as well as acquire needed items. We were able to do this through smart buying habits such as using coupons and shopping sales as well as bartering and trading this for that. Next question, tell us about your book. What is it about what is it about and why do you why did you decide to write it? Prepper's Long-Term Survival Guide 2 is obviously a sequel to Prepper's Long-Term Survival Guide. That book continues to be widely pop- popular even 3 years after it was first released. In the first book, I tried to share ideas and suggestions for those who are looking at long-term grid-down scenarios such as EMP. I cover most of the basics such as food, water, shelter, medical, security, and community. In the follow-up, I'm going to go into more detail on those subjects for about half of the book. The remaining chapters each focus on the specific type of disaster, nuclear incident, EMP, pandemic, martial law, and others. For each, I cover the major threats and how to mitigate them. Question. What feedback have you received from your books that is the most surprising to you? Answer. In general, I'm still pretty amazed that people pay attention to me. I mean, I'm kind of a nobody when you get right down to it. 
I've never had a TV show, never starred in a movie. I'm just an average guy, albeit one who has studied and practiced prepping for about three decades now. I found that I'm actually really well known in really small circles, which is pretty cool. I've also had the opportunity to get to know on a personal level some people I've long admired, such as John McCann. His Build the Perfect Survival Kit is one of my favorite manuals. I was completely gobsmacked when I learned he was actually a fan of my books. He and I have some great conversations in the last couple of years. Question. What part of your book would you like to make sure that readers pay careful attention to? Well, considering the book isn't fully written yet, hard to say. So let's pretend we're talking about Prepper's Long-Term Survival Guide 1. Each chapter of the book begins with a short fictional diary entry written by someone going through the aftermath of an EMP. I am particularly proud of those little fictional snippets and perhaps someday I'll go back and finish the story. The idea was to use a story to help introduce the topics addressed in each chapter. Question. Could you paste in a paragraph from your book that gives a good feel for what readers will experience? Here's how the book starts with the first diary entry. It has been 112 days since the lights went out and didn't come back on. I know this because the last thing I do every night after checking all the locks one more time is cross off the day on the calendar. Four months ago, had anyone told me a major disaster was right around the corner, I'd have chorted and snorted, deriding them for being doom and gloom. I've been meaning to start this journal for months now. I kept putting it off because there is always so much to do and by sundown I'm ready to just collapse into bed. But, while I make no promises to update this thing every day, I do want there to be some sort of record, some documentation of what we've endured so far and will continue to experience, continue to experience as the days progress. Huh, who knows, maybe decades from now, if the country ever gets back on its feet, they'll talk about this journal in schools across the land. Four months ago, I could take a hot shower three times a day if I wanted. Today, I bathe once a week whether I need it or not, in tepid water that three others have already used. Sixteen weeks ago, I had my choice of any number of restaurants for dinner. Today, we eat whatever we can find, grow, hunt, or trap. 112 days ago, I had three beautiful, wonderful daughters. Today, I have one. Welcome to the end of the world. Wow. So, next question. What else would you want preppers to know about your book? All of my, all of my books have a very down-to-earth and practical approach. I try to write as though I'm sitting down at the table with you, just shooting the breeze. Do you have any upcoming projects that listeners might be interested in? I love to give classes and share knowledge face-to-face. -face. My consulting business, Disaster Prep Consultants, is where to go to find out how to bring me to your neck of the woods to teach and to share. Do you have any final words that you would like to pass on to the Prepper Website podcast listeners? Answer. Never be afraid to ask questions. Everyone started somewhere. No one was born knowing it all. I've been at this for over 30 years and I still learn something new every single day. Question. How can interested preppers connect with you? Links and social media. Main site is survivalweekly.com. Disaster Prep Consultants is disasterprepconsultants.com. Facebook is going to be facebook.com at Jim, Jim Cobb Survival. And email, and I have um, I will link to those in the show notes, so you can go to episode 23 and easily click to all of those there. 
Um, and to finish it off, he also said, I also write fairly regularly for American Survival Guide and Off Grid Magazine. So you can get uh, Jim on those two magazine, in those two magazines as well. All right, well, thank you, Jim, for sharing this information. And we look forward to, I guess, your book when it comes out, your new book that's coming out. I'm also linking to Jim's uh, Amazon page, author's page. And so you can go there and you can see all the different um, books that he's written. He's written quite a few. And you know, one of the things that you do when, when, there's a, when there's a book that's been written and it's been out for a little while, you know, there's some books that, that come out and they're, they're brand new and, and a, lot of those, a lot of the times they get promoted. But when there's a book that's been out there for a little while, one of the things I do is definitely I go look at the stars. And, you know, how many stars does, he ha does it have? How many reviews does it have? And Jim's got quite a bit of reviews and, and good numbers of stars on his, on his books. So, you know, go check it out and go read some of those comments because that's going to tell you. I mean, when you, when you get into, you know, 400 comments and you've got a, a book that's at four or four and a half stars, and, and other other books that you know have a hundred to two hundred you know comments, and you have four and a half to uh, four stars. Those are good books, man. Those are those are the kind of books that you definitely want to, to grab and you you want to check out. So go check that out uh, again, Jim. Thanks so much for uh, participating in our written interview. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and go to our last article of the night or of the day of the podcast, I should say. Uh, survival. This comes to us from Survival Common Sense. And um, like all, you know, like all these articles, you want to go. They all, they all have article or links that you want to link to and go check out. Um, this comes to us uh, again. Survival common sense. I think I already said that. I'm repeating myself. Sorry. All right. So um, there are videos here and pictures and a lot of links. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. You're driving home from work. Something big just happened, and you're completely stuck in gridlock on the highway. You've heard the news. It's really bad, and folks are panicked. But you prepared for the scenario. You abandon your car, grab your get-your-ass-home backpack out of your trunk, and start walking. How do you blend in with all the unprepared people so you don't become a target for muggers? Here are some fashion tips to get you home safe. Much of my outdoor wardrobe is, is in some pattern of camouflage. But don't compare me to Duck Dynasty type. My beard is nowhere near as impressive, and I don't wear camo to work or Walmart. In central Oregon, several patterns of camel are needed for hunting in the desert, pine forest, and deciduous forest, as, as, as well as waterfowl. Boy, I can talk. Uh, but you won't see me in camouflage when I'm in the city because you never know when the big one will hit and wearing camo is one of the worst choices you can make for staying under the radar in an urban emergency. Wearing camos during a disaster is like wearing a blaze orange sign that says, Look at me, look at me. I have lots of cool things that you don't, including food and water. You don't want to look like you stepped off the set of Mad Max film or Denzel Washington in Book of Eli. Okay, I'm going to have to I'm have to increase the, the, the font size here while I'm reading my old eyes. All right, here we go. Uh, the best idea is an unexpected urban disaster in an... In an unexpected urban disaster is to look like all the other unprepared commuters wearing a nondescript backpack and modestly blending in with the crowd. But you pack 
but your pack will be full of stuff that will help you survive and get home. Here's a bag I highly recommend and use in my daily commute. It's called the STM Drifter Laptop Backpack for 15-inch computer. Your get-home bag, the stuff you need packed in your urban survival bag, is another topic, and I've written a few posts about that. Go with the kind of pack that's standard in your region. On the East Coast, you might see commuter packs. In Oregon, messenger bags are popular. On any high school or college campus, backpacks are common. See what the locals use and plan accordingly. Whatever you use, make sure it's, a, it's large enough to carry everything you need, but not so large that it's too heavy to carry on a long trip. How to dress prepared and still look like everyone else. Fabrics. A wool business suit is going to keep you much warmer in a wet, cold area than a cotton or linen. Don't buy any potential survival garments without understanding the fabrics in it. Pants. Avoid 100% cotton pants like jeans or khakis. They're never warm and they don't stay dry. Make good fabric choices with discreet tactical styling. Dark pants blend in easier. If you wear a long overcoat, that should cover up any pockets that might give you away as being prepared. Design. As far as I'm concerned, the more pockets in a pair of pants, the better for preparedness. My wife wishes I'd lose the pockets when we're out of the town out on the town for dinner, but I say that's the whole point. I wrote a whole article on the subject of pants with pockets, and I wear them daily. I like my 511 Tac Light Pro brand for a variety of reasons. The position and number of pockets, the fit, and the wear. I do wish the pants had an all-synthetic fabric, as that would be an improvement. Another good option is the 511 Men Strike for an urban survival setting. Shoes. Get sturdy, insulated, and waterproof boots or walking shoes. Go with a dark color. Make sure they're broken in and dirty. Draw no attention to your shiny, perfect equipment. I walked through several inches of slush one afternoon to catch a train in downtown Manhattan. I was wearing my L.L. Bean main hunting boots, a suit, and a thick-lined overcoat. The vast majority of people on that street were wearing inappropriate footwear, most noticeably a woman in a skirt and stiletto heels. My feet were warm and dry, and I could have walked many miles in those conditions with no trouble. These folks could not have survived a massive storm with broken-down infrastructure without severe frostbite and hypothermia. They counted on the trains to arrive on time, a taxi to pick them up, enough room in a heated coffee shop for their respite, and the kindness of strangers. If one of these expected services fell down, these folks were in real trouble. Socks a high-quality synthetic or wool sock will work. Plenty of dress socks have a nice blend in them that will also help keep your feet warm. Underwear. I don't mind getting too personal here. Stop wearing cotton underwear. There are any number of synthetic or wool undergarments that will work. Shirt. Get a good synthetic blend for the climate and conditions. A 100% cotton dress shirt may be your best choice if you have to walk during a heat wave, but a synthetic blend will probably be a better overall choice for any season. Long sleeves will, will provide some warmth and sun protection. Tie. Whatever. Take it off and stuff it in your pack. One never knows when you'll have to tie something or someone down. <laughs> Overcoat. If you need a dress coat for your work, get a long trench coat in a neutral khaki color. You'll like the most of the commuter walking commuters walking you'll look like most of the commuters walking home. The long coat will cover your tactical black pants pockets with your stuff and people will only see your shins and shoes. During the winter season you can throw a fleece vest in the car just to prepare for the worst. 
I always keep layers in the trunk in a bag to pull out if needed. Bottom line, you need to have your car packed with the type of coat you, you may need to walk miles in freezing and snowing conditions. If you don't wear a suit to work, your standard winter waterproof jacket will do the trick. If you live in the upper Midwest, a hooded parka is completely normal and you'll look like all the other Minnesotans with their furry headgear. Go with what the natives wear. Gloves. Black, warm, and nondescript. I like fleece or wool gloves. They're light, warm, and comfortable, and you can layer up both when they stretch. Hat. When I was younger and commuting to my first big city job, I remember walking several blocks in the pouring rain with water dripping down my neck and soaking my shirt collar and tie. I learned my lesson. After that, I got a medium-brimmed wool hat for rainy days. It looks sort of like a businessman's hat fedora, but has the added benefit of shedding rain and keeping my head warm. It's now my go-to hat for just about everything. In colder climates, get a wool beanie, stocking cap, or whatever the locals wear. In warmer weather, and especially in the peak summer months, you want to lose you want a loose weave hat to keep your head and face in the shade. At all times have your seasonal headgear in the car with you or on your head or at the office for the walkout. When it comes to clothing, I wear seasonally appropriate items ice, snow, sun, heat, wind, rain, and I make sure my back backup clothing is in the car if I need it. A good definition of camouflage is the ability to blend in. Consider your circumstances and surroundings, the current weather and plan current weather and plan accordingly, and change your clothing, pack and gear with the seasons. Your goal is to get home safely, not to make a fashion statement. All right, so good advice there. Um, you know, one of the things you might want to do is those uh, those space bags or the, those vacuums, those vacuum bags. You can find them on Amazon, and uh, you know what? I'll, I'll link to them as well. But I, I got them at Harbor Freight, and Harbor Freight, you know, doesn't sell a lot of good stuff. And these things were uh, they really were used uh, used one time, one to two times, because then they break down. But uh, they do work, and so um, we bought them for my son when he was going on a mission trip. And he packed a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in his bag, and we sucked it out with a vacuum cleaner hose, and it got down really, really, you know, it's really thin. It's just kind of amazing. And so those of you who need to carry that work very far from home, or you know, you need to go ahead and store some uh, store some clothes in your in your trunk or whatever, so it doesn't take up a lot of room. You could get some of those space saver bags and uh, do that uh, you know we also learned a trick going on a missionary trip from uh, with the church a, a while back um, is you get the really big big ziploc bags um, I you know the, the big ones and you really have to look around to find them but you know you stuff your socks or your underwear or even shirts in there and then you just kind of roll them up really tight and you put you push out all the air and then you go ahead and, and seal it you know those sliders on there and it kind of works the same way the vacuum seal bags work really good because that the vacuum cleaner hose or the vacuum cleaner will suck all that out and it does a really good job of flattening uh, those things so that's something to think about if you need to you know store clothes in your in your trunk or even store clothes at you know in, in the office and you want to store some kind of supplies and stuff you can do that there as well so a lot of good information don't just ad adapt this for the for winter um, he's got a video on here he also has a picture of himself on there and kind of you know what he's talking about and um, with his tack like pro pants uh, they, that they don't look very tactical, hiking shoes, 
and uh, business casual. It looked like business casual footwear, and um, so you can go take a look at at you know that information there and the, the picture of the video and all that kind of stuff. But uh, don't just take it for winter. I mean, you know, we have summer, we have seasons. I know some of y'all again up north. Man, I've already planted my garden, and and we're in 80 degree weather here in Houston. I know some of y'all still have snow on the ground, so that's that's crazy, man. Um, but uh, so there's times where I wish I was up there with you guys up north, and there's times that I'm glad I live down here in in the south. So anyway, um, I was on the uh, the Prepper Recon podcast, or at least we were recording. I was recording with Mark Goodwin the other day, and he gave me a great suggestion. I wasn't even thinking about this. Um, the way that I use podcasts, you know, I, I use Pocket, uh, an app called Pocket Cast, and it just downloads. Um, it, it's a nice little app, but you know, he talked a little bit about uh, there's some of you are listening and you're in rural settings. And you you probably aren't using a lot of uh, you know your mobile phones or stuff like that to listen to uh, the podcast. You might be downloading them and dropping them on a phone, or you might be dropping them onto an MP3 player. And so I made a little video to um, to show you how to do that easily on the Prepper website podcast. So you, it's on the on the menu bar. You can go click on that, and it'll take you to the to a little a video, a quick video, just to walk you through. The player that I have, the embedded player, doesn't have the download yet. Uh, I've been told that they're working on it, so it will be a lot easier to download. But it's pretty easy already as it is. And so, uh, again, I made a video to make it easy for you if you need to download them and not, uh, you know, you're you're not necessarily um, going straight to your phone and and streaming them or, you know, wirelessly downloading them uh, that way. All right, guys, that's it for this episode, uh, episode 23. Uh, I want to say I just appreciate everybody supporting the podcast. Uh, if you get a chance, come by the the, pod, or the podcast website, uh, prep, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, and uh, drop us a, a line or two uh, on one of the episode, um, episode uh, show notes. Or also hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're looking for more preparedness information, we're putting up stuff all the time on PrepperWebsite.com. We've got a lot of good stuff up there, so go check that out. All right, until tomorrow, guys, stay prepped and aware. Peace.